Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show. You made it for every single thing that you know and love about this beautiful game of college football. It happens here every single day. It's live twice a week on this wonderful platform, the On3 YouTube channel. Now listen, I know you got going on. I know you got a lot going on. You're at work. You're probably going through expense reports. You're going through tedious tasks from your boss. This is a safe place where we talk college football. So you made it. Welcome. We're glad to have you part of this community. We got a lot to jump into today. Like I had just mentioned a second ago, we're going to power rank the SEC's quarterback rooms. Again, not power ranking the SEC QBs, power ranking the room itself. All right, so we'll talk about that. We got David Pollock joining the show here in just a minute. We asked him a ton of questions. He's got a feel on who he thinks is actually going to be QB1 when spring practice kicks off today at the University of Georgia, and it goes on throughout the entirety of, of, you know, that race goes into fall camp. So he's got a feel on that. We asked him about that. He's got some feelings on LSU and Tennessee and Alabama. We asked him about Nick Saban and that exchange that he had on the desk. He was phenomenal, gave us a ton of time and insight, as well as some insight into his life with college game day, the traveling circus that is an icon across college football landscape. We also got to talk about what could be next in the conference realignment saga, was having a really interesting conversation this morning with one of our NIL reporters here at On3, Andrew Wintry. And we were just going back and forth about like, hey man, I think this is gonna happen sooner than a lot of people think. Like I understand USC and UCLA happened in July and I know that Oklahoma and Texas are gonna lead to the SEC sooner rather than later, but this thing ain't done. The tectonic plates in the college football landscape are still shifting. So what could be the next move? Got some thoughts and feelings on that one. Before we get into that, though, spring football is here. Like I just said, Georgia kicks off their spring practice today. Going to be a whole lot of fun. But some teams have already been rolling. What are some specific programs that we need to really hone in on throughout spring practice? What are some teams that demand our attention throughout spring practice? Got a few of those listed. And at the end of this whole operation, you know how we do it. Welcome you into the party. And I posed a question on my Twitter page at J.D. Pakel. I said, hey, if you were to put together your, your college football bucket list, let's be real, we all got them, what would be some of the items on that list? Whether it's a game, whether it's a game day tradition you want to experience. So you guys answered that in tremendous fashion, got some great answers. We're going to read off those at the end of the show, give you our thoughts and feelings as well on our own college football bucket list, which hopefully we're able to start checking off some of those in the fall. But again, we're so glad to have you a part of this. You made it to a safe place to talk ball every single day. We waste no more time. Spring football is on and popping across the country. Georgia gets kicked off today. A lot of other programs, like I already mentioned, have been rolling for some time now. You got Ohio State practicing in jerseys and helmets and basketball shorts, Florida, Texas, a lot of schools across the country, right? So with that being said, what are some schools that demand our attention? What are some schools that are, you know, needed to be focused on? throughout spring practice. I think we look no further than the University of Texas at Austin for the first place that we focus. Because think about where they're at right now as a program. Steve Sarkeesian now going into year three, and there is a point in time in any relationship where you kind of figure out what you are, right? Like, it's great to get to know each other. It's great to date. It's great to sort of figure out who the other person is. But at a certain point in time, like, hey, does this thing have legs? Do we know what we're going to be? And that's exactly what Texas is this coming year. Now, notice, I did not say that Texas and Steve Sarkeesian are going to break up if they don't win the Big 12 title. I did not say that. Some of you may feel differently. That's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. I believe they at least need to make the Big 12 title game. At least show up in that game. And why? Because all the excuses that were built in previously for Texas, the, ah, oh, man, where the culture was bad before, you had to get the bad apples out had to turn over the whole program, had to shift everything. That's all happened now. You're going into year three. You've got 10 starters back on offense, including the guy at quarterback in Quinn Ewers. Time for talking's over. Time for excuses is over. So what do we focus on this spring for this team? Well, first, I don't think it goes without saying, Quinn Ewers, right? I mean, that is going to be the bell cow of their offense this coming season. Bijan Robinson is gone. You expect them to be potentially a little bit more pass friendly, so to speak. You got some weapons, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Isaiah Nayor, 
you're going to have to ask Quinn Ewers to throw the football for you consistently. Because he flashed at times last year, but what's the progress like for him in spring camp? Steve Sarkeesian said it feels like the engine is starting to rev a little bit for Quinn Ewers. is starting to really get it. Because last year, first year in the saddle, really should have been a true freshman. He came in as, I guess you would call him a, a redshirt freshman. But you hear what I'm saying. This is the year where Quinn Ewers makes good on all that we thought about him when he declared early for college and went to Ohio State. Second thing we're looking at during spring practice for the Texas Longhorns, what I was just talking about a second ago, man, it's culture. It's culture. And I said it before with one of our spring previews for Texas. I want to see this team be chippy. I want to see that competitive edge. I want to see them be player-led because that's what great teams do. And Texas has said as much. Different players have actually spoken to the media about this and said great teams are coach-fed, player-led. Okay, that's the way that it has to be at Texas going forward. So what is the culture like? Are they able to finish in the second half of games is where we're going to really be able to tangibly see what that culture looks like. That's the next step. Because, listen, you can hide culture in the first quarter. You can hide culture when you're playing group of five, north, south, east, west, doesn't matter. You can't hide culture in the second half of a tight football game. Heck, you can't hide culture when you're down by one score in the second half of a football game, or in Texas's case, when they're up. Are they able to finish the deal? Are they able to have that culture that gets them through the finish line in the fourth quarter? That starts in spring. I know you have to execute in the fall, but all of that foundation is laid in spring. So what is the intel we're getting throughout spring practice? And what are we hearing about Texas? Make sure you're locked in over at Inside Texas because they do a phenomenal job covering this. The Texas on three site telling you up to the minute they got you covered so make sure you got a membership there also make sure you're subscribed here to the on three youtube channel we got content for you like i said every single day everything that you and i both know and love about this beautiful sport it happens here okay so make sure you're subscribed follow me on the social channels as well at jd Pakel on instagram as well as on twitter let's also focus on ohio state now for different reasons than while we're focusing on texas but Ohio State, think about what you have traditionally come to expect from them, what we have known about Ohio State. Win the Big Ten, beat Michigan, win natties. All right, this ain't a new drill for us. We've talked about this a lot on this program. But for Ohio State, they have missed those expectations two years in a row now. People in Columbus will tell you, the standard is set here. It ain't changing anytime soon. And so you have the standard set here with the increased pressure of having missed those expectations. So you kind of feel like maybe there's a little bit more eyeballs on Ohio State. And then in addition to that, the strength of your football team, your leader, C.J. Stroud, he's gone to the league, could be the number one pick. So you're going to have a change at the most important position on your football team at quarterback with extra pressure around it. And also there's a lot built out around that quarterback. Okay, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka. Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, like the, the offense will be ready to rule. Do they have the quarterback to be able to make good on that Ferrari of an offense? And also in the secondary, they went into the portal and got themselves some ballers. How do they translate in the second year of Jim Knowles' defense? Because when you look at Ohio State, the offense wasn't the problem last year. I don't think the offense will be the problem this year. I know you switch quarterbacks like I was just talking about a second ago. That's important. You have to be able to still produce how you expect to produce and I think they will but the defense I think is where you really hone in on this spring if you're an Ohio State Buckeye fan and get a membership at Letterman Row the Ohio State on three side if you haven't already but if you can be let's just call it five percent better in the secondary whatever that looks like to me that's a handful of plays in crunch time 70 plus yard touchdown against Georgia couple of deep passes against Michigan if you are five percent better and eliminate let's just say that one deep pass against Georgia you could make the argument that Ohio State's season finishes differently. Maybe it doesn't come down to a field goal against Georgia. Maybe you're able to force Michigan to play a different style of football. And Ohio State, I don't want to really focus on the Michigan game because they kind of fell apart in that one. But you hear what I'm saying. If the secondary can be ever so slightly better and you get a quarterback in either Kyle McCord and Devin Brown to make this Ferrari go, Ohio State's going to be in really good shape but they've swung and missed the last two seasons. And so people are upset with Ryan Day, even though he's 45 and six as a head coach, people are saying, hey, the bar is set here. 
and we haven't reached that. So for that reason, I think Ohio State is fascinating to look at when it comes to what's going to happen in this coming season. The pressure in Columbus is immense, to say the least. Notre Dame, to me, is like when you're in the gym playing pickup with your buddies, whether it's 24-7 and you're at the local high school, whatever it is, and you're on one end of the gym, and a big six-foot-eight dude walks in, and he's over there on the other side of the gym getting shots up, warming up, whatever it is. Everybody's wondering what that big dude is going to do. Can he ball? Is he going to dunk? What's, what's he bringing to the table here? Six foot eight. He looks impressive. That's what Notre Dame is to me in 2023. You bring back your entire running back room. You went into the portal and tried to shore up that defensive line. Got a lot of pieces back on defense in itself. The offensive line is nasty. Got NFL draft picks on that thing. And then you add Sam Hartman, otherwise known as uh, the ACC's all-time touchdown pass leader. So, yeah, you got a proven commodity there, the most important position on your team. Do you have a playmaker on the outside to make your offense explosive? Because if you do, Notre Dame's going to be a problem for a lot of teams this season. I'm telling you. I mean, look at what they did last year with a backup quarterback. I think Sam Hartman and Notre Dame are a team to watch emphatically so. Emphatically, I feel that way. Because Marcus Freeman heading into his second year, we're still kind of wondering what he's going to be as a head coach. I don't think you can get an accurate assessment of who he is as a head coach based on year one. But now he's recruited via the portal. And I think we're going to see some positive return on investment there from Marcus Freeman and company with their efforts. So for Notre Dame, again, they're that big six foot eight, impressive looking team walking into the gym. Everyone's sort of holding their breath and saying, okay, what are they going to do? Spring football should tell us a lot about this offense. And when I say a lot, it should tell us a lot about the base level of this offense. How are they going to look? Are they going to run a lot of two tight end sets? Is it going to be still ground and pound with play action over the top? Do they open it up more? Things of that nature. We're still going to kind of watch this team get warmed up during the spring, but I very much so believe they will be a force when toe meets leather in the fall. Then finally, how about Clemson? Because Clemson's always been built well, right? I mean, relatively, they recruit in the top 10 every single year. Dabo Sweeney runs his program, how he runs it. And now you have a, a, a machine that was, that was always built well. Like I said, the personnel is always top tier in terms of the ACC. But you switch out the tires, right? You add Cade Klubnick at quarterback. Make the switch there. You bring in Garrett Riley from TCU, from an offense that was averaging close to 40 points a game. And Garrett Riley turned Max Duggan into a Heisman Trophy winner. When previous, excuse me, uh, excuse me, Heisman Trophy finalist. Caleb Williams obviously won the Heisman Trophy. But you hear what I'm saying. Max Duggan was a backup quarterback when Garrett Riley got there. I understand he played for TCU, but he wasn't even your QB1 when you got there. What is he going to do with a guy like Cade Klubnick who's got as much talent as he does under the hood? How far do these new tires on the machine with Garrett Riley and Cade Klubnick, how far does that take you if you're Clemson? Because you look at what they did a season ago, and the two games that you lost as a Clemson team, it felt like you didn't get enough at quarterback. And that's not to knock DJU. Heck, we're big DJU stands on this program. We love DJU. But against South Carolina, threw for less than 100 yards. Against Notre Dame, the whole offense was anemic. But you got to look at the quarterback as well as a part of that. Not saying it was all on DJ, but there was a lot that you point to and say, hmm, if we're more dynamic, does that change the outlook of this game? So for Clemson, you feel like you're close. I'm not saying they're a perfect ball club, but you got to feel like they're close. What's the progress they make during the spring? How far along is Kate Klubnick and Garrett Riley in this offense after 15 practices? I think it'll still take some time to mesh, but how quickly does it mesh? We should get a good gauge for through spring football. So Texas, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, all teams that I think we need to really pay attention to this spring. Not because we're going to get absolutes from them. We're not going to get answers a thousand percent, but spring is for taking a temperature of things that we want to know more about. I'm telling you, information, information, information. You get enough of that, you'll get a good gauge for what they look like during the fall. So we sat down, talked to David Pollock, former all-everything at Georgia, one of my favorite parts of the College Game Day desk, and actually asked him about Georgia and how they are going to look 
in 2023, whether he takes Georgia or the field when it comes to picking a national championship winner. Asked him about LSU. Asked him about Tennessee. He had some really interesting things actually to say about Tennessee. But Georgia starts spring football today. So I think you'll be curious to hear what he had to say about that quarterback race. So without further ado, here's David Pollock. We are now joined by a very special guest, a man who is all everything at the University of Georgia, college football analyst for ESPN, and a crucial part of the college game day desk, David Pollock. David, how we doing, man? Doing wonderful. How you doing, brother? Doing phenomenal. I appreciate you making some time. Got a hard-hitting question for you off the top. I've heard rumblings that you're known to play some pickup basketball before college game day. If there were to be a situation where it's you and the desk out on the court, is there anybody that can check you on that desk? Let's, let's be real right now. Absolutely not. It's not close. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, McAfee's not bad, but he won't play. Uh, he's more of a shooter. He wants to shoot and stay at, at, at range. But um, now we used to we used to play some uh, some pickup everywhere we went and had to get the guys together. But we do we do less of that now. But now there's uh, Maria Taylor. By, by the way, would have been the closest back in the day. Maria was good. Volleyball, right. She played volleyball and basketball at Georgia, and she was uh, she's she's super athletic and she could move her feet and she was big and she was physical. She would pound you in a heartbeat. I'm like, bro, chill out, dog. Goodness she's gracious, because you, well, you can't. Well, you can't you can't hit a woman back and be physical with her. Like, now, nah, I mean, you can't do that. I'll check anybody, but I'm not gonna check Maria um, and get in trouble for that. But now nah, we we've we've done definitely played pickup over the years at different schools with different managers, different groups, and it's been fun. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, we'll get into the football side of things. Obviously, you haven't been at the University of Georgia, back-to-back -back national champs. If the season started today, are you taking Georgia to win the national title, or are you taking the field? I'll take the field. Uh, if you ever give me that question, there's very few times that I'm going to say, you know, a singular team. Um, I think this year's, this year's championship will be different. It will be harder for Georgia, and I say that because – you know, last year when Kirby started team meetings, he could go, okay, Jordan Davis and 14 other guys who got drafted are in the NFL. You guys sit in the seats. Y'all didn't win a national title. This is a new team. Now he's going to go, well, Stetson's not here and, and Jalen's not here, but, you know, most everybody else is back. And so I, I think it's a different rebuild. Um, I, I think that they, the way they've recruited has been stupid. And they're, they're going to be right there in the mix. And, and I would be surprised if not, they're not in the playoffs. Um, but every team's different. I think Carson Beck has a chance to be really special. He's a guy that has sat at the University of Georgia for three years and waited his time. And I think there's something to that. He'll be experienced. He'll have seen things. He'll know things. He'll know how to prepare. He'll know how to lead. I think he's big. He's strong. He's accurate. So I think he fills in for Stetson well. You know, Todd Munkin leaves and goes to the NFL now. Bobo's calling plays. There's always a little bit of a transition and different things that go on, but um, Bowers is still there and, and McConkie's still there and an offensive line that will be really, really good. But there'll, there'll be new pieces. Um, it won't be as uh, it won't be as easy a job to say, hey, let's just go compete and uh, let's just act like that we didn't do it again two years in a row. And do you believe it's Carson Beck's job? Or I mean, Brock Vandergrift's in the room, Gunnar Stockton's in the room. Do you think it's 15's job to lose? I think it's it's his job to lose 100%. But I'll say this, I think Gunner's special. I think uh, when, I, when I go watch him and I watch him compete, he looks like Stetson. You know, he, he's, got, he's a smaller in stature, great athlete, got a great arm, um, can make off-platform throws, can make exciting plays. Um, I, I think it's between, you know, those two guys. I think Beck will be the, the starter, and I think he'll prove why he's – Really, really, really good. But I think you got, you'll got you have an elite backup and gunner that could, uh, could also be the guy and I think will be the guy in the future. Like you said, just ridiculous the level they've recruited that quarterback position. No exception. So Georgia's obviously, you know, top of the pyramid. We look at the SEC. Outside of that number one spot, who do you see in the two and three spot in the Southeastern Conference? Well, Alabama's always going to be there, you know, and you, and you think about last year, listen, I was as critical as anybody on Alabama and they, and, and they deserved it because they didn't deserve to be in the, in the playoff discussion, but man, their schedule was murderous. I mean, they had to go to Tennessee that even Ole Miss, uh, you know, LSU, like they just, they played a lot of tough games. Um, they had a tough, they had a really tough schedules and, and they lost some close ones. Um, they're going to be rebuilding too, but they just put together a historic class. 
Um, Nick Saban's replacing OC and DC, um, which, you know, there's, there's a lot going on with that, with, uh, with this team. So I think, um, I think Alabama's that next team. I think LSU's right there um, in the mix. So many guys returning another year with Brian Kelly. They recruited high, a bunch of high school kids at a high level. They kept a bunch of their guys um, to stay from, from last year, which is good. They could have gone to the NFL. So I think the top three this year are uh, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. So where do you see Tennessee in the mix right now? Obviously, Hennon Hooker's gone. Jalen Hyatt's gone. Joe Milton taking over the reins. Where does Tennessee fit in that picture? I don't know, man. I don't know where they are. Um, I don't think they can build their program like they did last year and, and, and continue to do that. And I say that I don't think you can always be a, a transfer destination, and that's how you build your team. Hennon Hooker was unbelievable, too. I don't think people gave him enough credit. Um, their best line in their right tackle right was unbelievable. He'll he'll be a top twenty draft pick in the draft, and people are going like, "What? We never talked about that guy." He was he dominated everybody every week. He was so good. Um, so I, you lose you lose that. Can you build the defense? I, I think they'll be really good on offense because that's what Josh Heupel's good at. That's what he's going to build. But uh, can they build a credible defense? Because losing guys on that side too. I, I think Tennessee. This to me, this is a prove it year for Tennessee. Like, are you? Are you going to be that next team in the in the SEC East behind Georgia? Are you going to be – can you consistently be a team that challenges or you want flash in the pan excitement and then you drop back down? But I think I think there's going to be moments of excitement, but I, I wonder if Tennessee can recruit at a high enough level to go to beat Alabama, to beat Georgia, to beat those teams, you know, consistently. And then, again, in turn, not slip up to South Carolina, you know, late in the season and when you saw your defense really, really struggle. And you mentioned LSU in that top three conversation. Last year, I believe it was five games decided by one score, and they ended up coming out four and one. What's your take on LSU as it pertains to taking that next step in year two with all the pressure around them with Brian Kelly? Well, and what we've seen with those numbers, right, is they don't, they don't usually hold serve. They, they don't, those numbers don't consistently build upon themselves. There's a regress to the means. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, you don't just always win close games every year. I think that's a, it's a back and forth stat. So, uh, but here's the thing: Jaden Daniels is back, so you got your trigger man back. You've seen him uh, grow as a passer last year. You can see the athletic ability, the scrambling ability. Brian Kelly's still there. Plenty of weapons around him, and, and again, bringing in more weapons. Uh, Harold Perkins Jr. If you didn't watch him last year, you're missing out because that mother sucker is bad to the bone. I mean. <laughs> He is bad. He can rush quarterbacks and put pressure on you. And so th that's why I think you, you buy into LSU. That's why you look at the future. And, and listen, let's be honest. Not a lot of people think a lot about Ed Orgeron. Not a lot of think people think a lot about Les Miles. Both those guys won national championships. So this is a fertile recruiting ground. This is an elite tradition, an elite fan base, an elite stadium atmosphere. Like, LSU doesn't stay down for long. That's not going to be an LSU. LSU doesn't do that. And one of the teams that LSU beat last year, that's kind of, I think, going under the radar right now, we talked about a little bit, Alabama. Like, everyone's quick to say Nick Saban's falling off or this, that, and the other. In your mind, is, is Bama still Bama right now? Well, they're, they're not the Bama of old. I mean, let's be clear. They're not the Bama that we, we put in the national championship picture every single year now. I mean, I think – you know, last year you had so Bryce Perkins is or Bryce Young, excuse me, is projected to be the number one pick. Will Anderson's projected to be a five pick or top five pick, top ten pick. You had both those guys on your roster, and you didn't win. You didn't win at a high level, and didn't win good enough to even get in the college football playoffs. So I think we've got to take that into account. Um, they're going to be younger at, at certain spots. I, I, I've just been interested to see Bama and their their defense has fallen off the last you know, several years from a dominant standpoint. When you look at their uh, power run game and the ability to just pound the football and Tommy Reese, maybe he brings some of that over, but they've lost some of that ability too. So I think um, the invincibility of Bama is gone. The elite talent is still there. Uh, but with their team last year, they, there's no reason they should have been, shouldn't have been in the college football playoff. There's no reason they shouldn't have been, um, you know, number one most of the season, but they couldn't find a way to put it together. So I've just... I think Georgia's the new standard. Georgia's the new team that I look at and I go, they're a national championship contender. I think I look at Bama and I'm like, man, what are we going to get from Bama this year? You know, like I think 
I think they'll be good. I think they'll be really, really good. I think they'll be good enough to maybe win the SEC West, but will they be good enough to win a national title? I don't know. And I'm not going to go before the season and go like I did in the past and then go, okay, one-fourth of the playoff is situated. It's Alabama, okay? We used to start the season with like, all right, there's there's three spots available for everybody else, and, and now I just don't think that's the case. And you said that during halftime of the national title game, and it was 100% true. I mean, they're 38 to 7. Like, it's no discussion. Georgia now has taken over college football, and everybody made a big deal because Coach Saban's on the desk with you. Did he say anything after that with you? After the halftime? No, he didn't say a word. Nick, Nick's a professional, um, and, and I didn't mean it any other way besides like advancing the conversation. And I know it got blown up with a million memes, and people put. Uh, you know, slow motion did and put music behind him. I was just like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Um, but uh, no, nah, he, he was fine. He's, it's just like if I'm talking about Ohio State, I don't, I don't think about Kurt being an Ohio State guy. I mean, Nick was an analyst with us, so I just I talked about, you know, I furthered the conversation that Georgia's kind of, you know, they've taken a hold of college football and they're the new kings. And um, I think everybody else realizes that's true. But, uh, you know, just saying it in front of Nick probably – you know, struck people the wrong way or made it look a certain kind of way. I mean, I listened to that and I was like, why are we being soft about this? Why is everyone making a big deal about it? He just said just a, a, a true fact. But anyway, I want to check in on that. Now, when it comes to preparing for college game day, y'all go over like a million games, it feels like. What's your process during the week getting ready for that three-hour extravaganza? Well, you, you watch as much as you can. Um, you pay attention to as much as you can. You make football a priority. Um, it's your job. And so you, that means recording games. That means watching games, which, by the way, is an awesome excuse on Saturdays with your wife. Like, sorry, you got to pay attention, you know. Like, um, So I think it's, 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 it's a fun job, man. It's really, really cool. But you put in what you, you get out of it, you know, whatever you're willing to put in and how much you want to watch. I'm not a big fan of taking other people's opinion on, on, on most subjects. I want to go see it. I want to feel it. I want to touch it. And so I can – really come up with educated points that are that are mine and watch the tape and watch what people are doing great and talk about what somebody might not be talking about. And so I think um, it requires a lot. It requires a lot of travel. It requires a lot of time away from your family. It requires a lot of studying. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a blast. And it's so much fun to go to different cities and experience different, you know, cultures and stadiums and, and all that stuff. So we, we have a blast, man. We love doing it. We love putting it together. And it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride for me being a part of it. That was actually what I wanted to ask you. Last question before we get you out of here. What is, I don't want to narrow it down to just one, but what are maybe the, the Mount Rushmore for you in terms of college venues you've been to with game day? Well, th- those, that's a tricky question because to me, the coolest ones are always the ones that are off the radar, off the beaten path. Like, I'll never forget the Washington State show. And people probably aren't going to go, you know, wow, I remember that one, or why, why do you say that? You know, but it was unbelievable. I mean, just the atmosphere, uh, fireworks going off when the show came on. It's dark at 6 a.m. I'll never forget, you know, James Madison. I'll never forget North Dakota State when they literally shut down the whole town and put us right in the middle of the city last year with App State. Those, those are the ones I think that, that they really stand out. Like, you know, going to New York City was was different and strange and, and crazy. Um, but the, the, the off the beaten path, I love the other schools too, but it's just fun to go to, like those places you go to that don't expect to ever get game day, man, they roll out the red carpet. They put on a show. The fans are like, thank you so much for coming. Some schools you go to, you don't get that. It's like, yeah, you should be here. That's us. That's how we roll. So, um, th- those are the ones that always stick out as so cool and so fun. And the ones that as soon as I think about all the past shows, it comes flooding back pretty quickly. Well, I think I speak for everyone when I say we're excited to have y'all back on the TV screen on Saturday mornings here sooner rather than later, but appreciate you making time and uh, looking forward to connecting again soon. No problem. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Thanks David. David Pollock, back on the television screen. Very, very soon, okay? Just hang tight. Very, very soon, it's going to be a September morning. You're going to get up, get your Chick-fil-A breakfast like me, and we'll be back watching College Game Day. But appreciate David Paul making some time. Talk some ball. Very interesting. Carson Beck is his starter, it sounds like, at least to start spring practice for the University of Georgia. I was curious to hear about his thoughts with Tennessee. I thought he'd be a little bit more sold on Tennessee. Turns out he's not. That's fine. Got a lot of y'all in the chat talking about David Pollock being a homer. 
listen, I think he's a professional, doing his job, and the dogs are a problem. All right, I'll leave it at that. So riffing on that, David Pollock told us Carson Beck is his choice to be the starter for the Georgia Bulldogs, which got me thinking. There's a lot of quarterbacks in that room for the dogs. You got Carson Beck, you got Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton. So the wheel started turning in my head, and I said, what are the power rankings for quarterback rooms in the SEC? So not just the starter. We're not giving our power rankings for SEC starters. I'm talking about the room, the depth of it all, not ranking the wallpaper or the light fixtures, just to be clear. But we're going to start at five, work our way up to number one. Get at me in the live chat. Get at me in the comment section here because I want to hear from y'all. I promise you we will not agree on this across the board. That's what makes this fun. Arkansas, for me, comes in at number five. You got K.J. Jefferson, obviously being your starter, saying run that back, Turbo, give me another year. You got Jacoby Criswell transferring from North Carolina to Arkansas. Now, we'll start with K.J. Jefferson. Dude's just solid. Like, from a, from a physical standpoint, my guy lifts heavy weights. And then from a, a passer and production standpoint, total of 60 touchdowns the last two years, only nine interceptions. And solid is really just the word that kept coming to mind for me when I tried to define this quarterback room. Got a guy like KJ Jefferson, who maybe he's not winning the Heisman Trophy, but you're going to have a chance every single time number one laces it up. And then Jacoby Criswell, like I said, transferring from North Carolina. Go ahead and rewind the tape a little bit back to last summer back to last spring even, and what were we saying about the quarterback room at North Carolina? Hey, Drake May has got tons of ability. He's probably the starter, but don't be surprised if Jacoby Criswell gives him a run for his money, and that was a battle that went back and forth. Drake May is going to be one of the top picks in the NFL draft this time next year, y'all. Like, he's one of the baddest dudes in the country, and Jacoby Criswell was a four-star out of high school and gave Drake May all he could handle in that quarterback derby. So that leads me to believe Jacoby Criswell can spin the rock, y'all. There's not really a ton of sample size on him from an in-game standpoint, but you pair Jacoby Criswell with K.J. Jefferson, that's a really solid quarterback room. Again, I don't know if it's winning in the SEC, but it's good enough to get you in at least every single ball game. Because K.J. Jefferson being on the field for Arkansas a season ago, Arkansas was a drastically different team when he was on the field than when he wasn't. So we'll leave it at that. But for me, Arkansas is number five. The word to describe them, man, just solid. Woo pig, they're solid. If you haven't yet subscribed, man, go ahead and lock it in. Would love to have you a part of this. Shout out to the podcast. We're on the podcast as well. Apple and Spotify, wherever you get them, you can find the hard count in your podcast feed. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JDPakel. We do teach tape here, which means I, I take a piece of scotch tape and tape it outside the wall of the studio and tap it before we walk in kind of like you see different programs you know like notre dame taps play like a champion today lsu has the win bar you can see what we're writing on the teach tape if you're following me on instagram okay might put that up for crowdsourcing here pretty soon as well at number four i got ole miss now some of y'all might be higher on ole miss and that's fine with me but here's my deal with the rebels they're a lot like a volkswagen jetta and i drive a jetta i, I love a volkswagen jetta man i've been driving it since high school and a Volkswagen Jetta is reliable. It's sturdy. I think I've had it break down on me. And breakdown is even the wrong word to use. I've had issues with it twice in my life since high school. And one of those was a flat tire because the tire has been run for forever. But I'm not winning any races with a Jetta. I'm not taking that thing to the streets of Nashville and drag racing. You know why? Because I would get dusted. And that's what I look at and see with this Ole Miss quarterback room. A lot of depth. If all three of these guys somehow, some way stick around, which I think is a long shot, but at the, the room right now, pretty deep, really solid. I don't think you're going to break down. You got Jackson Dart, you got Spencer Sanders, the transfer from Oklahoma State, and Walker Howard, four-star quarterback transferred in from LSU. All these guys you can be fine with, but are any of them going to be game breakers for you? Jackson Dart, last year, 20 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Okay, two to one interception to touchdown ratio, touchdown interception ratio. It's not great, right? It's not going to get you to Atlanta and get you the kind of hardware you want to win. Spencer Sanders, 67 touchdowns, 40 interceptions on his career. That's worse than a two to one ratio. And I get it. He is a special athlete. There's a lot of things with his legs that make up for what he doesn't do well with his arm. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying, where's the game breaker in this group? Maybe you bet on the potential of what Walker Howard could be. 
We don't have any data on him right now. He's a four-star, like I said, out of high school, so we know he can play, but I don't see anything within this quarterback room that's going to win you some races. I don't see the it factor in this room, and that's fine. Like I said, it's deep. It's not going to break down on you. I think Ole Miss will be a good team yet again this year. I don't think Ole Miss is falling apart at the seams. But when I look at this quarterback room specifically, I don't see too many fireworks. I see a lot of good, and I see a lot of interceptions. I'm not here to dunk on Ole Miss. That's just my feel when it comes to the quarterback room. Again, you're going to be fine at Ole Miss. Very serviceable. I'm not trading in my Volkswagen Jetta anytime soon. I promise you. I love that thing. But I'm not going drag racing with it. So that's how I feel about the Ole Miss quarterback room. Now, Georgia's a tricky one. Because all three of these cats, we really have no starting quarterback data on. When I say data, we don't have any statistics we can look at and say, yes, you did this in a game after starting it and being the guy from wire to wire during the season. Like, yes, Carson Beck played in the national title game. Looked good in the national title game, to be real with you. But here's what I think about the Georgia quarterback room. It's like a really nice steakhouse. Like, for me, I went and had my bachelor party about a year, year and a half ago now in Austin, Texas. My brother planned the whole thing, takes me to this Great steakhouse in Austin, Texas. But I'd never been there. Like, I, I never showed up and ordered off the menu. But I knew it was going to be good. That's kind of like the quarterback room at Georgia. We haven't seen these guys really play. I haven't seen them really spin the rock. But you look at the menu. Look at what they got there. Look at what's around them, quite frankly. From a talent standpoint, four-star quarterback in Carson Beck. Five-star quarterback in Brock Vandergriff. Four-star quarterback in Gunnar Stockton. You can find something on this menu that's going to be nice. And when we're talking about the entire room here, not just whoever ends up being the starter, you can probably win with any of these guys. You just heard David Pollock talk about it a second ago. Said Carson Beck's job to lose, but whew, Gunnar Stockton's a dude now. Y'all, Gunnar Stockton has been, for a lot of people's money, third on the podium behind Brock Vandergriff. There are some people saying Brock Vandergriff's going to be the guy. Heck, I think some betting outlets have Brock Vandergriff as the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy over Carson Beck in terms of odds. If you were to bet on one of those guys today, preseason. Like, this thing is wide open. All these guys can spin it. They're going to have great talent around them. And so I think that's going to make them look good. But just as a, as a total room, it's like ordering off a nice menu at a nice steakhouse. You're going to find something you like, okay? It's going to be all right if you're Georgia. So I have them at number three. The reason we don't have them higher like I just said, we haven't ordered off this menu yet. Now, when all the dust settles, it could be the number one room in the entire country. But today, based on what we haven't seen, based off not ordering off the menu yet, I think they're the third best room in the SEC. Now, at number two, I have LSU. And LSU, to me, is just the most durable quarterback situation in the entire conference. So is it the best? Uh, I got one team ahead of them. Most durable for me. And the reason why I say most durable is you can adapt at the quarterback position for whatever the situation calls for at LSU. Hey, you know what? Pass game's not there today, y'all. They put a lid over the receiving core, and we're not getting anything deep. Jaden Daniels, y'all know he can shake and bake. Ricky Bobby, like he, he can make some things happen with his legs. Did it a lot last season. Some people will tell you that was the best thing he did for LSU last season especially when the run game got going with the running back. You got the read option going. Like, Jaden Daniels can make it happen for you. 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. So he's not turning the ball over for you. But if Jaden Daniels can't go, when we saw this happen in the SEC title game, Jaden Daniels gets dinged up. You got Garrett Nussmeyer behind him. And Garrett Nussmeyer, man, he's a gunslinger, the definition of a gunslinger. Now, you love that because he's going to push the ball deep to your receivers and let them go try and make some plays. Like, hey, I trust my guy. He's down there somewhere. Go get it, brother. Go make a play on the ball for me. You love that in your quarterback. If you're a receiver, at least, say, hey, this guy trusts me to go make a play. And Brian Kelly told us he joined the hard count last week and said, that's one of the things we need to see from Jaden Daniels. He needs to trust his receivers more. He needs to push the ball downfield. For Garrett Nussmeyer, you might say, hey, man, you might need to dial back the trust a little bit. Because the other side of that coin is you put the ball in harm's way. A 50-50 ball means your receiver has a 50% chance to catch it. But there's another 50% for your defensive back to intercept it, which is not the world you want to live in. But you hear what I'm saying. In terms of durability for this quarterback situation, if Jaden Daniels goes down, you hate that. 
it limits your offense in some ways, but in other ways, you feel really good about Garrett Nussmeyer. And you've seen both these guys in game. Garrett Nussmeyer threw for nearly 300 yards against Georgia. I don't care it was against their JV team. 300 yards, 294 to be exact, two touchdowns, one pick. Like, hey, that'll play. That'll play. We, we can win with that. All right? So most durable situation in the SEC. Garrett Nussmeyer is going to get first-team reps this spring. Brian Kelly told us Jaden Daniels is our quarterback, but Garrett Nussmeyer is going to keep growing. you got to grow by playing with the ones. So feel good if you're LSU. I think the number two room in the entire SEC. Now at number one, got the Tennessee Volunteers. Joe Milton's your starter. Nico Iamaliava is waiting in the wings. Some of this is, is, is projection, but in a small sample size from Joe Milton, he lit it up. 68% completion percentage in the Orange Bowl. Three touchdowns was 19 for 28, 251 yards. Like the dude can sling it. And if that's who Joe Milton is in 2023, he's going to be a top five quarterback in the SEC. We'll see what he is in the country, but he's going to be a top five quarterback in the SEC. You can take that to the bank. Now behind him, like I said, the number one player in the 2023 class, according to Charles Power here at On3, Director of Scouting and Rankings. I'll just say this right now, Charles Power's the best in the business. If Charles Power says someone's number one in the country, they're number one in the country. And the way that we do things here at On3, we give out five stars, 32 of them, in projection to the NFL draft. So we're saying, okay, these are our 32 five stars. That projects to 32 first-round NFL draft picks. So what we're telling you is Nico Yamaliava is a first-round draft pick kind of player when it's all said and done. So you got Joe Milton, who could be a top-five quarterback in the SEC based on what we saw and the tools he has. You know my comp for him. It's Uncle Rico. Throw the ball a quarter mile over that there mountains, and you got a first-round draft pick, potentially, and Nico Yamaliava. Y'all, that's, that's just spoiled in the quarterback room at Tennessee. I will admit some of this is projection. Some of this is a small sample size on Joe Milton. Some of this is the wide-open offense that Josh Heupel equips these guys to play in. But listen, man, you got to trust your eyes a little bit here. To have your second-string quarterback be projected to be a first-round pick, I'm just saying, that means something, okay? So that, for me, is where I put Tennessee in relation to the SEC quarterback room. I'm not telling you Joe Milton's the number one quarterback in the SEC. He might end up being, but when it comes to ranking these rooms... The combo with Milton and Iamaliava, it's just filthy, man. It's just filthy. So we got Tennessee at one, LSU at two, Georgia at three, Ole Miss at four, Arkansas at five. Notice there is one team I did not rank here, the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm not dunking on Bama. I've gone on record saying I think Bama's still Bama. I think Bama's still going to be a problem for the SEC. I think there's still going to be a team that competes for the college football playoff. But in, it, in, in the as it pertains rather to the quarterback room, you got Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Eli Holstein. Like I said, small sample size on Joe Milton, small sample size on Jalen Milrow. Vastly different results. Jalen Milrow stepped in against A&M. They won the ball game, but he left a lot to be desired. Threw for like 111 yards. Did a great job running the football at times this season, but Jalen Milrow, for me, I don't have enough on tape from him to put Alabama somewhere in the top five. Ty Simpson, I have nothing on tape from him. Eli Holstein, I have nothing on tape from him. It's all projection. You're saying, well, J.D., you put Georgia at three. What are you talking about? You, you put Jalen Miller. Jalen Miller's actually done something on a football field. Those guys at Georgia have it. I hear you. But for Jalen Milrow, it's a negative sample size based on where I'm standing. All right, so for that reason, I don't feel comfortable putting Bama as a top five quarterback room in the SEC today. Again, this is just pre-spring. This could all change by the time we hit game one. But for me, that's my top five. For what it's worth, Bama's probably somewhere around that six or seven range. Devin Leary at Kentucky also probably deserves to be mentioned in this conversation. But that's the top five for today. Could change tomorrow. That's how I see the quarterback room shaking out in the Southeastern Conference. We're going to get a lot of feedback on that, Nick. I got a feeling. I think we have some people that are, that are unhappy, to say the least. But so it goes, man. So it goes. Now, another thing that we just got to talk about, realignment. 
And some of y'all are sick of hearing about realignment. I was checking my Twitter during that David Pollock segment, and one of y'all tweeted at me, man, I do not want to hear one more word about conference realignment. Listen, I hear you. I hear you. I actually, I want things to stay the same. But the way that college football is trending right now, the music is playing, the teams are circling, the conference chairs, and when that music stops, you had better have a chair. But the music's still playing right now. So what could be the next chair to get taken in the conference realignment saga? What's the next episode? What's the next thing that could happen as it pertains to this whole dramatic series? I think it's no secret the one that's been in the headlines the most is Florida State and Clemson leaving for the excuse me, leaving the ACC for either the SEC, maybe you say the Big Ten. The SEC makes a whole lot of sense to me. And the reasoning behind this is fairly obvious. I mean, Florida State's AD came out and said as much. These two schools right now are bringing much more into the ACC, and they're not getting nearly enough out of it. And not just getting enough out of it that they can't keep the lights on. They're fine in terms of finances to keep the whole machine moving. They, they're good there. But in, in respect to what they want to accomplish, in respect to expectations at Florida State and Clemson to win national titles, Florida State said as much, hey, we're $30 million behind the SEC. And finances equates to power, and power equates to the opportunity to win a lot of games. And I'm not saying year to year they can't do it, but consistently, consistently, Florida State and Clemson need to have equal resources to compete at the level they expect to compete at. And so if the ACC can't cough up the money or change the distribution model, which I think is a tall task, they're going to look for greener pastures. And I promise you, the SEC would be more than happy. I'll say this. I believe the powers that hold the SEC's media rights would be more than happy for Clemson and Florida State to join that conference. The reason why I think this is imminent is because if you're the ACC and you want to find a way to keep Florida State and Clemson, you got to get them more money, right? Well, where does that money come from? The other schools. The pie ain't getting bigger, it looks like. Don't think it's getting bigger tomorrow, at least. So you have to go and knock on NC State's door and say, hey, Listen, man, you know the deal. We're trying to keep Florida State around. We're trying to keep Clemson around. Spare a few bucks. Bam. Door just closed right in their face. That's how that's going to go. These schools aren't going to give up more money to give it to Florida State and Clemson. Who are we kidding? So these schools are on the move, I believe, sooner rather than later. We'll see how soon. But I've said this before. I understand it's a lot of money. There's different conversations around how much I believe the number 100-ish million has been thrown out. I've also heard 500-ish million has been thrown out. All I'm saying is these people have a lot of money, have a lot of power. Things can change quick, fast, in a hurry. Think about Oklahoma and Texas. It was done one day. It's not going to happen. They're not going to the SEC. Or excuse me, they're not going to go to the SEC early. The next week, the whole narrative changes. Guess where they're going? The SEC, and guess when they're doing it early? A week's time came between those two storylines. So just keep an eye on this. Oregon and Washington, I believe, are going to leave the Pac-12 here. I think that's probably one of the next things to happen. Before we get into that, though, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. The Hard Count is live twice a week. We've got content for you every single day. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, at J.D. Like I was saying, Oregon and Washington, I don't see a world where they can stay in the Pac-12 for a couple of reasons here. The media writes conversation, according to storylines at least, does not seem inspiring. I mean, there, there's a lot of memes out there that are, that are really funny, but and the, the unfortunate part is there's some truth to them, right? Like Ion Television, Apple, like I don't know that those keep the big brands home. Now, maybe they do, but I have a hard time believing that they're going to stay for Ion Television or Apple TV Plus in streaming when they have other bigger media deals that would surely take them in. The other thing, this is the same deal we said with Clemson and Florida State. Oregon and Washington are big brands. I mean, they are pulling more than their fair share of the weight in the Pac-12 conference. Especially with USC and UCLA leaving in 2024 for the Big Ten, Oregon and Washington are looking around saying, who's paying for all this? Who's doing all this heavy lifting? 
We're like the Nick Breaks, and we have no other Nick Breaks around us to help heavy lift right now in the Pac-12 conference. Shout out Nick Break, producer for this show. But you hear what I'm saying. At a certain point, you look around and say, we are putting in too much, and we're not getting enough out. For that reason, Mark Cuban style, I'm out. So they would be attractive to a lot of these different conferences because think about the way this, this whole game is changing. It used to be very regional. It's starting to stretch beyond that. The Big Ten getting USC and UCLA pretty much broke down those imaginary fences from a regional standpoint. Anybody would be excited to get Oregon and Washington for that reason. Maybe it's the Big Ten to continue their stretch towards the West. Maybe it's the Big 12 to get back in the game and stay relevant. That's also another thing. If you land in Oregon or a Washington, that's a really impressive chair to land if you're a conference. That's a lot more revenue you bring into your overall pie. It's a, it's a very big slice that you add. So Oregon and Washington, I don't see a, a way they stay in the Pac-12 if all things stay equal. The media rights deal, like I said, is uninspiring. USC and UCLA kind of put the writing on the wall. Oregon and Washington, I think, could be out the door in the near future. So those are the first two that I would say are the most likely, just based on the, the rumblings and sort of the, the way that you fit all the puzzle pieces together. Here's one that I don't know is the most imminent, but one that I do think is on the board to happen soon, and that's Notre Dame is going to join a conference. Notre Dame, been independent for what feels like forever. They have a deal with NBC that expired in 2025. I don't know this is all about money for Notre Dame. And that sounds kind of weird to say with conference realignment because the Greenbacks are making the calls right here. Guys with MBAs and guys that went to law school are making the calls right here, not, not necessarily fans. But if you're Notre Dame, think about it this way. The playoff expands in 2024. At what point does it hurt Notre Dame to not be playing on conference championship weekend? And if you're not playing on conference championship weekend and you get left out of the college football playoff, I'm telling you, that only has to happen one time. And I think Notre Dame is going to start going into shopping mode. Whether it's, hey, we're shopping to find a conference or we're shopping ourselves for a conference to find us. Like at that point in time, I think the money from a TV rights deal is still a big piece of it. But you understand competing for national titles being competitive at the highest level, like Florida State's talking about, if you're not doing that, and that's the expectation of Notre Dame, then you start to have other conversations. Then it starts to be, hey, we're all, we're all for this, this media rights thing. That's extremely important. That's probably tied for most important, but also up there, winning. Winning also makes us a whole lot of money. All right? And to do that, we may need to join a conference soon. So we'll see when that happens. That's a whole other conversation to have, but Notre Dame, I think, will join a conference sooner rather than later. I don't know if it's the first one to happen. It's just a feel I have on it, but sooner rather than later. But again, Florida State and Clemson leaving the ACC or in Oregon and Washington leaving the Pac-12 would be the first two off the board that I'd keep a very close eye on. No pun intended, Nick Brake. No pun intended with the eye on as an eye on television as it pertains to the media rights for the Pac-12. Now, I posed a question on my Twitter feed. Said, you're putting together your college football bucket list. Whether it's a game day tradition you want to experience, like the Wave at Iowa, or you want to go experience a game, Army-Navy, what are some items on that agenda for you? Got some great answers, as I knew we would. We have some of the best diehard college football fans in all of America. So to break those down, to get into it, welcome on. The man, the myth, the legend, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Um, How we, we doing? Some good ones. Sorry for my microphone squeak a little bit. Sounds uh, good. We've got three today. First one from at Eric Sells Holmes. Big Ten football overrated Army versus Navy. Okay, so i got to address the first part of that. Was that Ohio State, Michigan? Really don't believe the Big Ten is overrated. As it pertains to Army-Navy, got a chance to go to that during finals week of my junior year. And for those of you that aren't familiar, during finals week, if you don't have a test on that day, it's essentially a free day you're supposed to use to study. I had a buddy at Navy who had tickets who said, you got one if you want it. Drove down through a blizzard from upstate New York to Philadelphia and got to watch Army-Navy in person. Coolest sporting event ever been to. Like, 
hands down. It was absolutely incredible. The pageantry, the fact that it just means something for all these guys. They're all playing because they love ball. Like nobody there, I'll, I'll rephrase that, probably one or two people from each of those teams is actually going to go play professionally after this game. It's special, man. Like it's, it's much bigger than college football. You got the cadets on the field. It, it's, an, uh, it's an experience unlike any that I've ever been able to see up close before. So Big Ten, I would, I would probably push back on that being overrated, but Army-Navy is a special event and absolutely should be on your college football bucket list. Great answer. Okay. Next question from at Turf Surfer. Michael says, Notre Dame, any game. So any game up in South Bend, J.D., what do you think about Turf that? Turf Surfer, man, friend of the program. I think that's a great answer. I mean, college football, touchdown Jesus, like Notre Dame in a day game, I think that'd be incredible, Nick. I, th I think that'd be phenomenal. That's one that I really hope you and I get to go to at some point this coming fall. Wink, wink, hint, hint. Like that would be sensational. I, I don't know which game it'll be. Ohio State visits South Bend, I believe, sometime in September, September 20-something. So that could be one. We get to check that one off. But I think this is a great answer here by Turf Surfer. Nick, where does South Bend rank for you on your college football bucket list if you were to put one together? I'd like to go to South Bend. You're a big NBC guy. I, yeah, I am. Mike Tirico will be there. Um, well, actually, not anymore, Mike Tirico, but we'll see who'll be there. What about Collinsworth? He's your guy. Jack Collinsworth? Not my guy. Not your guy. Not okay, guy. never mind. Not um, a program guy. Yeah, I would love to have gone back in Mike Tirico's days, but now he's doing Sunday Night Football, so he's off the Notre Dame call. But, okay. you know, Good for still Michael, be fun though. to go. Uh, love the band. They've got a great band. I think they've got the best fight song in college football. So, Dude, and, and like just like that. traditionally college football, like you think of college football, you think of like these brands. Yeah. I think you think of like Michigan, Ohio State, maybe USC if you're on the West Coast, probably some SEC teams like Georgia, Bama, but then Notre Dame, Rudy, Touchdown Jesus, the grass field. Like, dude, I, I, think, it's, I think it's sensational. I think it's one of the coolest venues. I hope you and I get to go this fall. Yep. Awesome. For sure. Uh, last one's coming from at... Adam Brenman, 80, did I get that right? Yeah, Adam Brenman, Brenman yeah. Eight, 81. Friend of the show. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say his name wrong. I've been seeing him on Twitter all the time, but Adam just wanted to get your name right. Uh, I get everyone's name wrong, so that's not a surprise. But anyway, he, he says you need to hit the whiteout. So, J.D., I guess we need to go up, what is it called? Co Happy Valley, Happy man. Valley. Happy Valley State, State College. Yeah, yeah so. State College. This is funny. Adam actually, Adam Brenneman, was actually a tight end at Penn State. And so he got to, to my understanding, experience this firsthand as a player and I'm imagining he got back at some point in time as a fan but dude same thing with Notre Dame as I'm saying about Penn State and the wideout like there's just some things that are so uniquely college football and the wideout is absolutely one of them like you walk into a wideout it's a night game it's usually a big time opponent I think they had it for Auburn two years ago I'm forgetting who they had it this past season but like that would just be something that is so unique to college football. You can't get that anywhere else. You don't get that at an NBA game or Major League Baseball. I love the NFL. I don't think you get the white out at the NFL level, which is fine. NFL's got its own things that it, that it loves. Nick, I'm, I'm treading lightly here for you. But the whiteout itself, I think, is sensational. Something that we haven't experienced yet. But, Adam, I 1,000% hope and plan to and pray to uh, in the not-too-distant future. So I think that's a great list, Nick. We're, we're starting to check off some great ones, bro. Good list, yeah. Hey, and J.D., I'll go to every college football game with you in the world as long as we can go hit up an English Premier League game one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, uh, we'll look at the tickets to Liverpool, and we'll, we'll yeah, figure we'll, out. Yeah, we'll buy a ticket to Heathrow Airport in London, and we'll see how, that, how, how that expensive that is. So, Boom, uh, lock it in. Maybe we'll take a rain check on that one, but J.D., I'll see you next time. <laughs> Sounds good, Nick. See you Thursday for St. Paddy's, man. Nick Brake, best in the business, making everything that you see and hear a part of this show come to life. So we appreciate him for that. Folks, we appreciate y'all rocking with us. Like I said, to open this whole thing up, you got a lot going on. You're at work. You're at school. If you're in college, maybe you're driving on spring break and you just flipped us on in the car. We appreciate y'all, man. We're happy to be a part of y'all's daily life. We're happy to be a part of your routine. And I'm fired up for what's to come because we're, we're talking about the college football bucket list and what we hope to check off. I hope we're going to check some of those off here in the fall. Because there's a couple of those that we kind of have tentatively circled and underlined and highlighted as, you know, hey, maybe, just maybe, the hard count gets out to some of these venues. And that would only be possible because of y'all watching, listening, subscribing on podcasts and on YouTube. So we appreciate y'all for that. Big thanks to David Pollockian for joining the show. Bringing the juice, as always, we are back on the air. Thursday, the madness begins. 
I'm talking about college basketball. I'm talking about it on this show. We'll have a wild show for you on Thursday. Make sure you're locked in. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.